What's up, everybody? It's Jaren from the Hockey Podcast Network's newest show, the Windy City Benders Podcast. My co-host Tanner and I bring our unique takes on Blackhawks hockey. Us on this show have been a, a pro Carlton guy. for He's the right coach for the situation. Giving it to our rivals. That's one of the things that kind of sucks. I wish we would have had the Blues in our division this year because our trash. As well as bringing in some guests from the NHL. Please welcome to the show, goaltender Scott Darling. The Eagle himself, Ed Belfort. Brian Bickle. David Boland. Letter Kenny. The, the show started out with uh, basically a, a beer league hockey team. And anybody who loves the game. Find us on all your favorite podcast apps, the Hockey Podcast Network website, and on social media at WCB Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Tell It As It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's not quite the time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean that the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100 New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right. All it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. That is an easy no-brainer of an offer. It's basically just free money, but this slam dunk of an offer won't be around forever. So head to the App Store now, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and get in on all of the action. And if basketball is not for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and so much more. The Colorado Avalanche have one of their busiest months in franchise history this March. And if you want to get yourself even more invested in the game, DraftKings Sportsbook is the app for you. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its customers since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code THPN for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, I hope you all have had a wonderful last couple of days since we last talked about the Avalanche's embarrassing 6-2 loss to the San Jose Sharks, because it has been a stressful three games for the Avalanche ever since, and I really hope that you guys are not letting this team get to you just as much as I'm letting them get to me, because this team makes my head hurt a lot. Yes, since we last talked, the Avalanche are 
0 and 1. That's a that's a good record, right? It's a, a lot of teams would kill for that record over a three-game stretch. But these games, despite the results, still quite simply have not been good enough for this team. So let's start all the way at the top. We will look at the two games against the Anaheim Ducks when I am joined by Carter Potts and Nate Thomas of the Quack Report podcast. We had a great talk about these two games against the Ducks and what is bothering the Avalanche and the Ducks, respectively, as they both kind of slog their way through the seasons and what we think is ultimately going to end up happening with those two teams. But we'll get to all that later. I had a great talk with those guys. Let's start with the Sharks game. So obviously... When you last heard from me, I ripped this team to shreds after their 6-2 loss to the San Jose Sharks that really encapsulated everything that was wrong with this team in terms of inconsistency. So how do the Avalanche respond? Well, they respond with a 4-0 win to the San Jose Sharks. They shut them out. They answer back emphatically. So why... Am I not happy about that game? They played They played a pretty damn close to a perfect game. Solid game from start to finish. They really pulled away with it late with a five-minute power play. Oh, the what? The five-minute power play. How'd they get that? I'm glad you asked. The Avalanche got the five-minute power play late in the third period to pull away against the San Jose Sharks after Nathan McKinnon was taken out by a headshot by Joachim Blitchfield. That's right, Nathan McKinnon, a top five player in the NHL, was taken out by a player who had up to that point played four NHL games from start to finish and had recorded zero points. And Nathan McKinnon did not play in the rest of that game, and he did not play in the two games against the Anaheim Ducks on Friday and Saturday because he was suffering from, believe it or not, concussion symptoms from the headshot. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, you will know just how much this hit has boiled my blood over the last few days. The first of all, the fact that Nathan McKinnon, who is Nathan McKinnon, the best player on the Colorado Avalanche, and would be the best player on pretty much every NHL team outside of maybe the Oilers where they have McDavid. You can make an argument that McKinnon would be the best player on just about any other team. Was taken out by Joachim Blishfield in a hit that got nothing but head. McKinnon was unsuspecting and unaware of Blishfield even being there. Blishfield saw him the whole way and really didn't try to do anything but hit McKinnon on this play. There are a million ways he could have made a legal hit here. He could have hit McKinnon another inch to the right and gotten all body and have it be a very clean hit where there are no injuries resulting on the play. Or as Blitchfield was going to the bench, he could have poked the puck away and gone for a line change. But instead, Blitchfield decided to just go right through him and get nothing but head on the hit. It was a very dirty hit, and I don't really care what anyone 
has to say about it. This was a this was a dirty hit in every sense of the word. And two games for it, I thought was ridiculous because this is everything that you don't want in the NHL. This is a nightmare scenario for the NHL. Nathan McKinnon just got taken out by a 22-year-old rookie who has played four games in his NHL career. And McKinnon is now missing time due to concussion symptoms. Yet Blishfield only got two games for it. And there were so many excuses made for Blishfield after this. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's just, I pronounce it how it's spelled, Blishfield, Bitchfield, if that's what you want to call him, if it feels more appropriate. But Joachim Blishfield, there were so many excuses made for him after this hit. Like, oh, what? what's a guy to do? In that situation what's the poor guy supposed to do but hit Nathan McKinnon in the head it's his only option this game has gotten so soft nowadays I'm not kidding those were real comments made by people who are employed to talk about hockey specifically several of the San Jose announcers and analysts made that comment after that hit and my God, how do you still have a job with a take like that? I mean, Nathan McKinnon is no shrinking violet. He does not take a hit and just crumble to the ground unless something is wrong. And there were pe like people who are paid to talk about this sport saying that he faked it, that he dove, despite the fact that he did not return in the game and now has missed the last two games. People were like, oh, soft. McKinnon's soft. What a dive. Drawing the penalty so the avalanche can put the game out of reach. Are you insane? Like, really? Are you crazy? You thought he faked that. The problem here is that Joachim Blitchfeld just ran through Nathan McKinnon and got nothing but head contact. And now an NHL superstar is now out for an extended period of time. This hit was terrible. There was there's no other way to describe it. There's no if and or but about it or any excuse to be made. This hit was terrible. He deserved the 5 minute major. He deserved to get kicked out of the game and he deserved a lot more than a two game suspension. A two game suspension is a slap on the wrist. The Sharks will survive without Joachim Blishfeld. By the time you're hearing this, his ex his suspension will already have expired because the Sharks have already played the Golden Knights twice since their last game against the Avalanche. So Blitchfeld is eligible to return whenever. He'll be eligible to return on Monday when the, the Sharks play the Blues. So he's he'll be back. He, I don't know. He might not get back in the lineup. The guy's barely important. Joachim Blitchfeld is not going to make a difference for the Sharks. I mean, every aspect of this hit just makes me mad. Every single aspect of it, from the actual hit itself, to who is laying the hit, to who is taking the hit, and the reaction to the hit. All of it just makes me mad. It is absolutely ridiculous. All head contact and... Player safety, they just kind of gave Blitchfeld a slap on the wrist for it. Two games, you know. Got, guy got suspended before he got his first point, by the way. You know, looks good on you, kid.
and two games for that hit does nothing to get that hit out of the game whatsoever. Yeah, you know, I'm sure he learned his lesson. And you know what? He also clearly didn't mean to hit McKinnon in the head. But you know what I don't care about? I don't care about the intent to injure on the play. I care about what happened on the play. And Joachim Bushfeld nailed Nathan McKinnon in the head, whether he meant to or not. So intent to injure does not matter to me in this instance. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter at all if it's an illegal play. And the fact that some no-name was allowed to take a run at Nathan, not even allowed, just like the fact that it happened is unbelievable. And the fact that player safety gave him a little slap on the wrist, oh, you're not playing in the back-to-back against Vegas over the weekend, but you can be back next week. You give Blishfeld a five-games-plus suspension, you know what he doesn't do anymore? He doesn't do that. No, by the time, maybe next season, if Blish, I don't even know anything about this guy, if he's a regular in the Sharks lineup, yeah, I'm sure he'll be careful not to do it. But you know who is not going to be careful? Anyone else in the league. And you've seen the amount of filth in the league with these hits rise over the last week. And obviously the, the Tom Wilson hit, which for some reason gets all the attention of all the people who pretend to care about player safety. Yet you could, I, if I looked from the top of the mountains with binoculars, I could not find anything anybody or all these champions of player safety who could be bothered to care about this hit on Nathan McKinnon or all the other dirty plays that happened this week. But as long as we got Tom Wilson taken care of, you know, player safety will just get fixed around the league. If we send a message to that guy, everyone else will get the message. Well, clearly that's not true as ever since that hit, that seems like the hits are only getting worse around the league. You know how you send a message and protect your stars in the league is if you give this kid a five plus suspension. And that should be the standard for people taking incredible head hits. If you're, if you lay a head hit, a bad head hit that causes an injury, why is five games not the like standard? Two games, one game, three games on the rare occasion? Do those really deter people from doing them? Do they really make sure that players are going to go out of their way to avoid this hit? If there had been a standard laid in the last few seasons that if you lay a head hit that causes an injury, you're out for five games, do you think Blischfeld probably takes a few extra steps to avoid that from happening? I say he does. And I say a lot of these head hits that have happened across the NHL this season ultimately are at least more cautious or players are paying a lot more attention if there was an actual punishment. Blishfeld missed a back-to-back against the Golden Knights. And, and, I don't know, the guy's a fourth liner. He might not make it in back into the lineup anyway, but if he comes in in his first five NHL games and immediately gets suspended for five plus, do you think that guy's getting back into the lineup at all if you're the Sharks head coach? No. So that's an actual deterrent for that from that hit from ever happening again. I just thought the hit was awful, and it's a shame that McKinnon now has to miss time. We assume that he'll be back when... The Avalanche play the Coyotes coming up. You know, we hope he'll be back. It seemed like at the time after the hit that we maybe got lucky and he might not miss any time at all. And right before the first game against the Ducks, he was on the ice 
and practicing before the game, and then turns out his concussion symptoms started to show up later, and he ended up missing the back-to-back anyway. So we the NHL just has to do better when it comes to getting these hits out of the game because it's been well publicized, especially this season, that they player safety really just doesn't care all that much about player safety, as ironic as that is. I mean, we've seen interviews from people who work in the department that the onus falls on the player that is getting hit to not put themselves in a vulnerable position. They are more concerned about protecting the people laying the hits because George Peros used to be that guy. George Peros is the head of the player safety department. He used to be that guy in the NHL that had these questionable hits. So of course he's going to protect his own. It's such a baffling hire by the NHL to have Peros running this. It's such a joke. And if you actually laid down punishments for head hits, they'd be gone next season. And you wouldn't, we wouldn't have to keep talking about this every single week. Because, like I said, Blischfeld was not the only dirty hit that has happened in this league. Not even the only headshot. Even as I'm recording this, there was one today in the Blackhawks and Lightning game as Connor Murphy laid a huge headshot on someone on the Lightning. And in the intermission, you could hear the announcers talking about how it was an unfortunate hit It was a good hit, just an unfortunate result. And that is why these hits are going absolutely nowhere in the league, because they're not punished. They don't get punished. And it's going to happen again. It might happen to McDavid or Matthews. might happen to McKinnon again. might happen to the Avalanche again. It's ultimately ridiculous. And I've said my piece on that, and I just it really turned my stomach seeing it happen and the reaction to it. And the lack of punishment that really fit the crime for it. So moving on from that, the Avalanche won that game 4 to nothing. They got two goals after that, one on the power play and one to wrap it up. And we get into this back-to-back with the Anaheim Ducks, the first, of a, first two games of a nine-game homestand that the Avalanche need to consistently put wins together in. And spoiler alert, it wasn't very good. Yes, they're missing McKinnon. Yes, they're missing McCarr. Yes, they're missing Byram. And in both games, the Avalanche go down 2 nothing to the Ducks. They win the first one in overtime and have their first comeback win of the season. How the hell is that possible at almost the halfway point? And then they come back again. They take a 4-2 to lead against the Ducks and blow it and lose 5-4 in overtime. And we'll get into the full recaps of those games when I get to my interview with the Quack Report podcast, so I'll save that for that. So what I will immediately jump to is how Hunter Miska has played his last game this season. It's done. Hunter Miska played the second game against the Anaheim Ducks, and the difference was apparent. Almost identical games, as I'll get into later. 2-0 lead for the Ducks in the second period. The Avalanche come back, get the game tied, and in the second game, they take the lead in regulation. They're up 4-2. to two. The game is over. It's over. There is no reason to not win this game, except if your goalie lets in a soft one like that. Hunter Miska, quite simply, is not an NHL goalie. 
We tried. We tried. We gave him a shot. We gave him multiple games to prove that he's an NHL goalie, and he has proven that he is not. We're done. He has played four games and won one of them. And the game he won against Arizona, let's not forget, he almost blew a 3-0 lead with under two minutes to play. He gave up two terrible goals to the Coyotes in what should have been a 3-0 shutout to make the game a heart attack coming down to it. So even when he won, he wasn't good enough. He played a game against the Kings that they lost 4-2. At the time, I said the team let him down, but looking back at it now, he missed some very easy pucks. His second game, second half of a back-to-back against Minnesota, they lose that game in overtime. He did not look good in that game at all. He doesn't play again, mainly because of the COVID break and the Avalanche playing Vegas four times in a row. He doesn't play again until the first half of a back-to-back against Arizona. Like we just said, barely holds on to that lead, does the absolute bare minimum. The Avalanche played very well in front of him that game. He did not have to do anything. And in this game against the Ducks... Just awful. Awful. His worst performance of the season. And Jared Bednar put it best. When the heat was on, when we needed a save the most, we did not get one. We were let down by our goaltending. That is not verbatim what Jared Bednar said, but it is very, very close. It is very clear that he does not trust the goaltending on this team outside of Grubauer. He does not trust Hunter Miska. Here is the exact Bednar quote. When the heat got turned up and we needed a save, we didn't get it. And that's true. They needed a save late in the game and they never got it. They came back and took a 4-2 lead against the Ducks, four unanswered goals, and two of them, or at least one of them coming, two of them, coming in the third period to really pull away and take this game. Miko Rantanen with two goals, stepping up with McKinnon out. The game's over. It should be over. Two-goal lead against a team that cannot produce any offense, and Hunter Miska let them back in the game. And it should be the last time we see him in net. The next time that Philip Grubauer is not starting in net for the Avalanche, it should either be Adam Werner, or you make a move as soon as you can. I don't know how soon that can be, but the stu- at this point, the sooner the better. This should have been something that was taken care of in the offseason. I said before the season that it was weird that we didn't even get a third goalie coming into this season, because if, God forbid, Grubauer or Francois gets hurt, we're going to have to lean on that guy a lot. And is Hunter Miska really ready to step into an NHL role? And we got our answer. It's no no, he is not. So this should have been something that was taken care of in the offseason. But, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Second best time is now. And the second best time to get a backup goalie for Grubauer with Franco's out is now. Maybe see what you have in Adam Werner, but I doubt it's going to be much better. You know, I mean, as much as I love Joe Sackick and... The amazing moves that he's made over the years, he neglected this one. And this was something that should have been taken care of this offseason. And something I think the organization thought they could get away with once Franco's got hurt. 
maybe we can get enough out of Miska in the few games that we're not going to play Grubauer, and maybe we can get by until Franzos is back, and it has backfired significantly on them. They've gotten one win in a game that Philip Grubauer has not played this season, and if you can't, you can see the difference. When the skaters are on the ice, they don't trust their goalie, and when you can't trust your goalie, you can't play to your full potential. It's as simple as that. The team doesn't trust him, and they need a better option. But Hunter Miska was not the only reason that the Avalanche lost this game to the Ducks 5-4 to four in overtime. This game was a very good illustration of this Avalanche season so far. The lack of attention to details killed this team. Yes, Hunter Miska let in some soft goals, but for the love of God, pay attention to the little things and you will be shocked at what can happen. This team, all season, and especially in this game, but all season, has done a painstakingly terrible job at paying attention to the details. Case in point, the Ducks' first goal of this game, Andre Burakovsky, off the faceoff, just completely goes the wrong way and leaves the duck shooter wide open to snipe on Hunter Miska. Everybody knows that off a face-off, the guy on the wing, face who's on the side of the goalie, skates in front of the skater to get to the defenseman behind him. Burakovsky decides he's going to go around the other side and get to the defenseman behind him. And what happens? Well, the Ducks win the faceoff clean, and it goes right to the guy he left wide open for a perfect one-timer right off the draw. Ducks lead 1-0. Easily preventable if you pay attention to the little details. And I'm picking on Burakovsky here because he had the most egregious examples, but he pulled another one later in this game. The, the Avalanche lead... 4-3, Hunter Miska just let in that soft goal to Troy Terry. Troy Terry second of the game because Terry danced around Miska to put the Ducks up 2 to nothing, And Burakovsky takes a penalty in the third period that led to the Ducks' goal to tie the game. You know, maybe Hunter Miska should have had this. But you know what? Why are you putting the goalie you don't trust in a position where he has to make a big save when you know he can't make a big save? It's a brain-dead play from Burakovsky, and if this lineup was healthy right now, I would have his ass sent to the press box. That is unacceptable. Are you kidding me? To have the performance that he had last night against the Ducks and... It's, it was worthy of being scratched because maybe someone else can come in and just pay attention to the little details enough to the point where that doesn't happen because he's not scoring right now. He had the one goal against the Coyotes that made it, well, I don't know, two to nothing, and he's put up a few assists since then. He hasn't scored another goal since. I was completely wrong about him starting to get hot because he hasn't done much of anything since early in the season and admittedly I'm getting pretty sick of it and waiting for him to just wake up and start to score again like he's paid to do and I'm picking on him a lot and it was it was a lot of guys that were just getting just 
thinking they could get away with a lot of it tonight. And they got lucky in their first meeting against the Ducks in the first half of this back-to-back. And as Bednar said, like, they got away with one. And they did. They got, they got away with winning that first one, and they paid for it this time. Just no attention to detail. And as baffling as it is, this team is better defensively than they are offensively. I would never thought I'd say that about the Avalanche. They're probably, admittedly, one of the better defensive teams in the league right now, even without Makar and Byram. Sam Girard has been a team MVP so far, and so and Devon Tays has been excellent as well. And the guys that have come in, even friggin' Dan Renouf, who is playing in his third NHL game tonight after not playing for nearly three years, was solid tonight. Jacob McDonald got abused pretty badly on the Troy Terry goal, but even outside of that, he still played a lot. Logan O'Connor played very well. He got a nice goal to get the abs on the board. But there was just... And ultimately, the the difference in this game was Tyson Jost not being able to beat Ryan Miller when it mattered. And also, Ryan Miller made the saves when it mattered. Even though he'd given up four goals, he had a beautiful stacking the pad save to keep the game tied. And Hunter Miska couldn't come up with anything. So ultimately, that was the difference in this one. And I want to now get into my interview with the Quack Report podcast and really look back at these games altogether. This was a great conversation that I had with these guys. And I, I will continue my rants about this team's inconsistencies and my feelings about Hunter Miska in the interview. So I hope you guys enjoy, and I will talk to you guys briefly once that wraps up. All right, so I am joined by Nate Thomas and Carter Potts of the Quack Report podcast. Fellas, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. How about you? I've been better after watching this team. I think I'll put it like that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not overly happy with them at the moment, but I'll let you in on why in a moment. Yeah, sure. it sounds like it's been a little bit rough in uh, in Aslan there, just a little bit. I mean, not not nearly as bad as us on a nine game skid, but <laughs> you know, and that maybe that's part of the reason why I'm not overly happy. But <laughs> it's been a it's been a bit of a stretch ever since our four game stretch against Vegas. We have not performed up to expectation. I mean, we're about halfway through this season at this point. I think about next week or within the next two weeks, we'll be at the halfway point of the mm-hmm. season, and this team has not come together at all yet. It's been, we've had one three game winning streak this entire season, as I'm sure I mentioned earlier. That's it. That's it. Oh, Oh, geez. January. Like our best best five game stretch of the season starts with the 3 1 loss to the Ducks. Then we rattle off two against the Sharks, two great wins, and then another great win against the Wild, and then an overtime loss to the Wild. That's our best five game stretch of the season. Oh, geez. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I thought you guys were doing a bit more than that yeah no. i mean uh like you guys have had a had a pretty tough time with injuries and uh and covid and all that stuff i mean that's that's obviously no excuse like you need guys to step up but um but yeah it's, it's, i think it's been hard for you guys to find your groove I, I didn't realize either um really how your season had been going i haven't been following it super close but uh, i would imagine that all the injuries are, have made it tough to to just come together and, and build chemistry as a team yeah, my fantasy team would really appreciate if Nathan McKinnon could stay healthy, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the I've talked about earlier in this episode my thoughts on the reason Nathan McKinnon is out now. That hit from 
Lishfield, the guy who played four mm. NHL games. I am not thrilled as of yet of that hit. And even with all these injuries, this this team has not been committed to execution. All the little details. You could it's perfectly illustrated on the Ducks' first goal of the game in the second game. Andre Burakovsky off the faceoff cuts behind the guy who eventually gets the puck and leaves him with a wide open shot. It's that just not paying attention to those little details that have cost this team so much this season. And that's the reason why our longest win streak so far is three. Yeah, which is kind of surprising for the Avs. Like in the, the last couple of years, like you guys have just seemed to do everything right. So maybe it's it's the hockey guard, hockey gods, excuse me, coming down and being like, no, you guys have been exceeding expectations for far too long. Now it's time to just throw you guys in the dumpster and, and light it on fire. Like, <laughs> maybe not that bad, but like, yeah, no, you guys have always been seen to be good at those little things and, mm-hmm. and doing everything right and just shutting down guys like game after game. So maybe it's a, a little bit of, of balance coming back. I don't know. Maybe so, but it's been a, a rough coming back down to earth so far. <laughs> such Fair enough. <laughs> expectation of hype but going on to the ducks for a second you guys have been struggling for a little bit now this that's over- putting it lightly <laughs> this overtime win against the avalanche correct me if i'm wrong first win in nine games nine games yep that yeah. was very close to being 10 straight losses uh, whether overtime or regulation it was not going well for us for a little bit there mm-hmm. yeah so it's nice to finally get the monkey off the back i guess for, for everybody um and i think that that this game, this last one against the Avs was the first time that we've seen everybody come together to like, you know, have a, like build a win. Like we've had guys firing before, um, but it's like, okay, well maybe we score four goals tonight, but our defense sucked. So we let in six or whatever, or it's like, okay, well our defense is playing a solid shutdown game, but we couldn't score a goal. So we lost, you know, one or two, nothing like those kind of things. So, but the, that, that game was, I think the most complete game we've played maybe all season. So you guys kind of got the, the, uh, the shit end of the stick on that one. I think <laughs> it seems like we get that every once in a while against the ducks, whether it was back in January, John Gibson playing his, best game of the season or the Ducks finally coming together. But about that nine game stretch, what's really been the problem for them over this stretch? Because every time I seem to check in on the Ducks, it seemed like they were doing just about as I expected. And then next I looked when they're playing the Avs, they hadn't won a game in nearly a month. So what happened? Was it John Gibson coming down to earth? Was it just the team not coming together? Like what happened here? I mean, I think John Gibson was still doing as much as he physically, mentally could, right? Like he's still, you know, I guess like in like right at the bottom of that God tier almost and whatnot. But yes, you know, you can, I I mean, we've seen it for a long time. I think even in Montreal with Carey Price, you can have one of the best goaltenders in the world, but if you don't have a team in front of him, it really doesn't matter unless he's able to, you know, miraculously steal you a game or two, which... You know, we relied on Gibson to do that right away in the season, unfortunately. But yeah, I think it was just really the team in front of him just was not was not doing it. Our offense is still a little bit of a burden on us, right? Like our our leading scorer is Max Comtois with only nine goals in the season. Um, and yeah, just, you know, scoring is still very spread out, but not in a good way. Like it's very low numbers. So like we're 
like even that last game against you guys there, we were lucky that we got more than three goals, right? Because that's normally a plateau that we get stuck at. So, yeah. And uh, just to add on to what you were saying there, Nate, I think just the little things weren't, um, weren't there. And that's what was costing us the games, at least, you know, later on in that losing streak. Um, I, I think we were putting together fairly complete games for, you know, 40, 45 minutes. Um, but it, it was the 15 or 20 that, we, we fell apart that really cost us those games. Um, and, you know, like you look at those games against Arizona where we gave up back-to-back three-nothing leads. Um, and, and it was really just, you know, 10 minutes in the third periods that cost us the game. Um, and, and, I mean, we you saw we saw that too against the Avs. I think we played a pretty solid first half of that, that first game to go up two-nothing, gave up the lead, kind of, I don't know, got down on ourselves and, and you know, couldn't come back from that. Uh, it almost happened again in the second one, but I think, you know, Eakin said the right things on the bench and and got us going again and got us doing the little things that could get us that win. So it was, um, it was almost, I, these two games, they were almost identical to each other, but mm-hmm. from what I saw, the difference for the avalanche was their goaltending and, as I would talk about earlier in this episode, uh, Hunter Miska has played his last NHL game. And that third period for him was brutal. The third goal that he gave up to get the Ducks back in this game after the Avalanche go up 4-2, to two, it, it can't happen. Even, this, even the second goal for the Ducks to go up 2 to nothing, you can't get deked that hard like that. And we've given him his chances this season. I think this was his fourth start. I mean, we've had we've had no Pavel Francouz this entire season. We still don't know when he's coming back, and we we tried to cheat and see if we had Hunter Miska be at least a somewhat capable backup goalie, but it it just hasn't worked. And I was willing to give him one more shot, and he he's blown it. He's won one game, and he barely held on to that one. That was a three-two win over Arizona where the avalanche were up three to nothing with two minutes left. And he gave up too late to really make it a heart attack. It's been, it's the biggest hole on this team right now. And they need to make a move. If it's not bringing up the fourth goalie, which would be Adam Warner or just going out to make a trade. Maybe you guys could leave Ryan Miller in Colorado for us. I think we would appreciate that. <laughs> but I, I mean, I could definitely see it something like that happening closer to the trade deadline um you know just trying to get a a little bit of of something for miller obviously not a lot because he's a backup goaltender and who's in just on a one-year deal right like you you can't you're not going to get like a second round pick but maybe you know a later like fourth or fifth round pick just to help you guys get uh make that push into the playoffs but you know also just to give us a little bit of something as well and you Mm -hmm. know maybe try and get miller another run at the cup i think that would I think I could see a fit there. Um, usually you don't see those interdivisional trades, but I, I think with how spread apart we are um, in terms of standings, I don't think it's a big issue. Yeah, if it looks like that, I think closer to the trade deadline, we might be able to see something a bit more than uh, a bit more like that. This is a question I never thought, like even a couple weeks ago, I didn't think I would ever ask this. Do you think the Colorado Avalanche are maybe missing Michael Hutchinson a little bit right now? Just as you were talking about, you know, the kind of backup goaltender situation, he's surprisingly been doing pretty well actually in Toronto. And that's where, you know, things were really kind of collapsing last year before he came to you guys and played in the playoffs last year. Absolutely. This team is missing a third goalie. Even coming into this season, we had Philip Grubauer as our starter, Pavel Francouz as the backup. It's a fine one too. 
-hmm. And one of the concerns I brought up heading into the season was that these two goalies have an injury history. And if one of them goes down, we are going to have to lean on Hunter Miska or Adam Warner. And what do you know? Pavel Francouz hasn't even played a minute in the NHL this season due to all of his injuries. And Michael Hutchinson's not a great goalie. As we saw, we relied on him in Dallas, but he played well enough against Dallas to force a game seven. And you look at him in Toronto right now, he pitched a shutout the other night against the Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you look at Hunter Miska right now, he's not an NHL caliber goalie. And I wanted to give him a shot, but even someone like Michael Hutchinson, who isn't the best, but is a proven NHL talent would be able to get the job done right now. And we're throwing away points by continuing to play Hunter Miska. So to answer your question, yes, absolutely. This team misses just even that little bit of reliability, just the, because perfect example in the third period of this final game against the ducks, the difference was, is that even when the ducks roared back, Ryan Miller made saves. He made that beautiful stacking the pad save on Jason Magna. And what did Hunter Miska do at the other end? He led in a softy from Troy Terry and another one from Shattenkirk gets by him, granted on a power play that was very, very dumb penalty to take, but mm-hmm. you need the save there. And Bednar said as much after the game, you need saves from your goalie. So yes, they absolutely miss him. Yeah, especially those key ones, like at key points in the game, like you talked about that 3-2, uh, sorry, 3-2 win to Arizona, but it, it could have been a 3 nothing game, but, you know, not being able to make those key saves when Arizona's really pushing is is what makes or breaks being an NHL goalie or an AHL goalie, I think. Yeah, he just doesn't look comfortable in the net, and I've noticed that in all of his starts. I mean, the difference, I think, in these two games was Grubauer started in the first one, Avs held on to win. Their offense wasn't as good, but they got enough to get the job done because they trust their goalie. And in the second one, it wasn't. They have to rely a lot on pinching. They have to make all the perfect plays. It puts a lot of pressure on the skaters. And when one mistake happens, the puck ends up in the net. And there needs to be something done for this team because he's won one game, like I said, and that was just barely. And we've missed out on plenty of points with him and net and it's the time's done. So even going back to Ryan Miller, I mean, I didn't think he played great until the third period, but he played well enough to get the win. And that's what you need. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's, he's no John Gibson, but he's, he, he gets you those key saves yeah, when, exactly. when you need them. So. That's all you need. He just once a week, not, not even once a week, maybe once every two weeks for this team with how good Grubauer has been, just come in and do enough to get the job done. And yeah. we don't have that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, I, I could definitely see a trade coming in the near future if you guys can, you know, still hold on um, to a playoff spot, which I mean, I think you should be in this division. But if your team actually shows continues to show signs of being a contender, then I think uh, a trade will come closer to the deadline to get you that that backup goaltender that you so, or slash third string goaltender that you so desperately need. Yeah, I mean, you know, guys like Makar are, are having a good season and um, when he's healthy, obviously. But and then like McKinnon wants a cup. You can tell Landeskog deserves a cup and Ransom. Like you guys have the, the tools to contend for the cup. It's And as we talked about, I think when you joined us on our show, it's it's just that goaltending. That's a huge question mark. And it's only because they, they can't stay healthy. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just this avalanche team, like the pieces are all there. I mean, I, I raved coming into this season about just how good this team was on paper, but mm-hmm. like I said, it, it just has not, come together all the pieces for the house are still laying out on the lawn there's no nails to put it all in place it's just mckinnon even then he's disappointed my expectations a little bit he's got logan o'connor that goal last night he passed mckinnon in five on five scoring like and he passed a guy like burakovsky and he tied nazem kadri that's the problem with this team right now outside of goaltending is their lack of which and it's shocking to say offense their offense yeah Yeah, it's not something you yeah not something you expect from colorado honestly they're a better defensive team right now than they are offensively even without kale mccarr sam gerard has probably been this team's mvp so far yeah he was super noticeable in those last two games against you guys like i he was very noticeable and i was like holy shit this guy's like a number one defenseman on pretty much any team that doesn't have you know mccarr Yeah, exactly. And he, he's been almost perfect so far, especially recently. He's stepped up incredibly with Kale McCarr out of the lineup. And even when McCarr was in the lineup, he still did his job just fine. And it's just, we're, like I said, almost halfway through the season and things still haven't come together yet. And at what point does all the little things start to get done? I mean, a guy like Andre Burakovsky on this team, if this if this lineup was healthy, he's benched the next game. He was terrible. He was exact the exact representation of why this team is struggling so much right now, or as much as they can with all this talent, because they they this team they have is good enough to get a point out of that game in Anaheim. But Vegas last week. They took the ducks to overtime. They got the job done. It's that extra like five, 10% of details that make a difference that this mm-hmm. avalanche team hasn't been able to put together because no offense to the ducks, the avalanche should not have gone to three overtime games against them so far this year and lose. the. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. We'll agree with you on that. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> no, it shouldn't happen. And I'm not sure what it is about the ducks that makes us struggle or if it's even the ducks at all, because Arizona is the only team in this division we haven't lost to. And we played them in a back-to-back last week. That was the only two times we played them. Everyone else, we've lost at least one game to. Something that we've talked about that, you know, we struggle with the Ducks with is that we will play up to the teams that are, you know, in playoff spots or that sort of thing. But then we have the thing that we'll play down to the teams that aren't in those spots. And those are a lot of the games we lose. Like, I want to be optimistic about uh, like we're, like the Ducks are going to be playing LA here on Monday and Wednesday, um, but I'm just checking the standings here. Okay, so LA is just sitting outside the playoffs now, but if they were still in that playoff picture, we'd probably play a lot. Like we play more up to them, but after those games against LA, we're playing San Jose, who's sitting at the bottom of the division right now, right? And we're going to play down to that, and like I'm being cautiously optimistic that we can win some games against LA, maybe get a bit of a streak going, but I'm terrified to go play San Jose because we're going to play down to them. So I don't even know if it's necessarily you guys really like, it's just, we, we play up to those teams for some reason. So like Colorado, like Vegas, like those are, those have been our best games is against those teams, but against the, you know, like cellar dwellers, we, 
decide to play like that so it, it could be the same thing with the abs as well like we're playing up to them and they're like oh well it's the ducks like we don't have to try as hard and then you know yeah. instead of meeting in the middle then it's like oh well now the ducks are playing better than the avalanche and then you know halfway through the game the abs are like oh shit like we, we need to take these guys seriously um it, it, you see that all the time where you know top teams like boston and washington are losing to teams like the new jersey devils and it's like you, sh you should stomp them eight nothing every time you play yeah. them. like why are you losing <laughs> so yeah. I, I think it could be a little bit of that as well yeah exactly and it's something that has come up with this abs team a lot i mean inconsistency is the name of the game for the team this season and there really is no excuses to be struggling this hard against these teams i mean six two to the sharks and two overtime games against the ducks that you split at home it's just it hasn't been good enough we haven't played the kings in a minute but we split a series against them in the beginning of the season the wild have seemingly pushed us around a bit there just needs to be more across the board one thing i've really pushed episode after episode is that there is more to give with this team and you can see it on the ice every night and you're gonna lose you're gonna lose games i'm not saying they're never going to lose a game or they should never lose a game but it's the way that they're losing and even the way they win sometimes that it's it's just not enough and you need some more because we've we've played the blues twice and vegas four times and out of our 22 games, that's not a lot. And we split all of those games, one and one against St. Louis, two and two against Vegas. And we're still only 13 and nine. It's just, it's hard to wrap my brain around sometimes with how, how much talent there is here and on good nights, how it shows up and how weird we can't be stopped. But the roller coaster of this team has just not come to a consistent stop yet it's just gotten to the point now where we had that loss to the sharks and now we're going to two overtime games against the ducks that i'm asking what are we doing here this is not good enough and when is it gonna be enough humiliating losses to finally wake up and start rattling off wins yeah i mean hopefully soon for you guys anyways that's uh yeah I mean, we're, we're happy that we uh, we broke our losing streak there. But, you know, when, when you're on the other end of that, it's um, it's like heartbreaking. And like, I'm sure that the guys in the locker room, too, like, oh, man, like we were we were the team that lost to the Ducks. Like yeah, nobody yeah. wants to be that team. We really blew that one. I'm sure that's what and I hope that's what they are thinking right now. I want them to yeah. be thinking that like, damn, we just blew another game in this one to the Ducks. We can't keep losing these points like this. But Going back to the Ducks a little bit, because I think I'm getting a little bit <laughs> rant about the Avalanche, like I did earlier in this episode, just because I've got a lot of frustrations about this team right now. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the Ducks. So this is your seventh win of the season. You guys have 20 points. You're at a 400 points percentage, 0.400 that is, and... It would be an uphill battle to get to the playoffs, but with that losing streak behind you guys and still technically within striking distance of the playoffs, do you see a future where maybe not make the playoffs, but can really make a push for it down the stretch and be competitive for maybe that fourth spot with Minnesota? 
I think we saw something similar happen last year, just after the trade deadline as well. The team was starting to really go on. And then, you know, of course COVID happens and kind of blew that all out of the water, but um, yeah, I don't see us making the playoffs, but I mean, I had originally still at the, like at the start of the season, I had this team just getting to fifth place, uh, like kind of just outside the playoff spot. Like, I feel like we can be competitive, which I think we showed over these last two games with, uh, with Colorado there, but yeah, I, I don't see it, you know, being enough to get over that, to make the playoffs. And, um, you know, as much as I'd love to, I wonder if that would almost be a detriment to this team to actually make the playoffs this year. Yeah, we, well, it was a few episodes ago. I think it was around when we lost game five of that losing streak. Um, I had said, like, you know, I think we could, like, Nate was, like, ready to call it in. He was like, no, like, I, I think this is pretty <laughs> much done for the season. Like, um, not necessarily tank, but, you know, I think this is um, really showing this team's true colors. And I was like, no, I think we can still come back. Like, you know, we could, we could easily put together a three or four game win streak and then um, and then just be, like, right back into the mix. And uh, then we went on to lose another four straight. So <laughs> so I, I've kind of reevaluated um, my point of view. And... Obviously, I don't think we this that we now that we've won one, we're just going to lose another nine. Um, but I also don't think we're going to win, you know, nine in a row to make up for those. So I think we'll we'll still finish pretty low down. But I think that we've now kind of figured out, you know, what little things we actually need to do to to string together some wins. Um, but our team is still fairly young, so I think we'll put together, um, or I think we'll still have a lot of, you know mistakes and close games like the the three twos the four threes um a lot of overtime wins but it's not going to be enough to to really take this team into the playoff spot um and and like nate said too i I think it would be a detriment to the team i think we need another higher draft pick to really push this team so that in a few years we'll kind of be where the abs i guess are expected to be or like vegas you know where we're, we're contending for that top spot again um, and whether you use that draft pick as well, you know, to like for yourself, like you keep that player and whatnot, like use the pick or that, or you even use it as trade bait, right? For something, right? Even we have a lot of guys coming up. That, yeah. So, you know, it, it could really be used either way, I think. Um, I will say, though, I think there's more of a chance of another nine game skid than there is for the Ducks to make the playoffs this year. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> But yeah, no, I I think on our well on the last episode we, we were talking about the the games against LA, um, and I think we're both uh, Nate. I'll use Nate's words cautiously optimistic here that um, that we could win these next couple games. I think um, a lot of the the game or a lot of the losses that came near the end of the streak were uh, could be attributed to bad puck luck, um, in addition to other things. But I, I think a lot of those games like we easily could have come out on top and you know a couple bad bounces or missed opportunities or saves that didn't happen that maybe should have just led to you know those games being like three two or four three so a little bit of bad puck luck and i think now that the tides might start to turn um in our favor and then you know guys that have been underperforming like raquel and henrique have finally stepped up i think raquel's on like a huge like seven game six or seven game point streak despite the loss or i think it's like seven points in five games maybe a five point game point streak so he, he's really starting to pick it up which is what we've been missing at the beginning of the season and um and i think that could get us a couple that maybe we shouldn't win so that's very interesting and one point i wanted to expand on you guys, i think you guys brought up an interesting point that making the playoffs would ultimately be a detriment to the team i think i would agree on that 
How close do you think this team is to getting back to that about decade of dominance of, you know, winning the Pacific division over and over? Are they, would you say that they're three years away from really getting back to consistent playoff contention? Do you like the Do you like what you've seen from a pieces like a Comtois and a Troy Terry and guys like Max Jones and Sam Steele? Do you like that? Maybe there's enough of a core here and something that you could build around for the future? Or does, does there need to be another high-end draft pick or even a Trevor Zegras, who I didn't mention? Do you think there's enough of a core here that you could start to build another one of those contenders for the future? And if so, how far away is that? I definitely think that all those guys you named uh, are, are, are going to be the core of this team. I Maybe we won't be able to keep all of them around, but I hope at least you know four out of five of them will be able to stick around. And the other one, you know, just we can trade for some sort of piece that we're missing. Um, but I, I think as much as people don't like the comparison of uh, Anaheim and LA, or maybe the, you know, Anaheim doesn't want to be compared to LA. I think the, those two teams are very similar. They, um, they were big like contenders for, like you said, about a decade. Um, but about, you know, three or four years ago, LA started to fall off a cliff followed shortly by, um, by the ducks just, you know, a year or two later. Um, but now you look at LA and they're starting to, their pieces are starting to develop and you're starting to see the potential there are they a cup contender yet no next year maybe two years i think definitely all their young guys are going to be in their primes um so i so i think you know we're a few years behind them so i'd say you know in two years maybe we start to look um like we could be a contender the year after that sure so i'd say you know in about four years our guys hit their prime and we start to look like that contender again for the next few years. I don't know. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, I think it's just an experience thing at this point. Like I do like the young guys that we do have coming up, but the one area that I'm most confident in, in terms of, if you want to talk about a core, John Gibson is only 27 and he's playing some of the somehow still the best hockey in his career so far, even though the ducks are, uh, you know, not doing too, too great. Um, currently right now, John Gibson's sitting with a two, seven, nine, uh, goals against, and he did drop a little bit to a nine Oh four save percentage, uh, compared to the start of the season there where he was on God tier, right. It's still holding a nine sixty somehow. Um, but you know, if it's not him in say the next five years, right. Or four years when that contract is done, we got a guy named Lucas Dostal coming up through the system who has been dominating the levels that he's been playing. And I just see the next the NHL being that next step for him. So I feel like I feel pretty confident in our goaltending as part of that core that can, you know, drive us to that uh, those those championship ways again. That's very interesting. I think the Ducks are a very interesting team when it comes to the future because they didn't do that full scale rebuild like you would see from maybe the Senators or even the Kings, really, for that matter, with the Kings yeah. bottoming out as hard as they did. I think it'll be very interesting for the rest of the league to see just how the ducks rebuild this team. Cause you see how a full scale teardown works for Buffalo or for Edmonton, where they get those high end guys, but there's nothing to surround them with. And I think if the ducks can turn it around and build another cup contender soon, I think you will start to see a lot of teams mold their rebuilds in the same way, getting younger, acquiring a bunch of younger talent and not being afraid to let a Corey Perry go, even after everything he's done with the organization. 
I would agree that the Ducks are a, a couple years away from contention. I think after this season, if they get another around fifth overall pick, I think they'll be in a very good spot with the prospect pool. I've the Kings are ahead of schedule. Just mm. yeah, really. <laughs> oh yeah, how well they've been playing this season, and they don't have Quentin Byfield in the lineup yet, and they're still going to get growth from guys like. Velarde and Kaliev and they still have Kopitar and Doughty so I think you're going to see a lot more rebuilds like the Ducks and the Kings where they sell off a lot of those outside pieces that maybe aren't the main core but really start to build up again with elite younger talent that maybe you don't get at first overall like the McDavid's and the Eichel's of the world but maybe the kind of guys you find at fifth sixth seventh overall like a Trevor Zegris and all those guys. So I think, I think the ducks are getting closer. I think the sharks out of the California teams are the farthest away because they haven't even started yet, but mm-hmm. yeah, they're a uh, disaster. I think it could be interesting as well. Cause I think car, you had the number, what is it? 20 million off of our cap. That could it, come it's this something off like season. that. Yeah. So, I mean, say none of that comes back as, you know, re-signings or anything like that. You could use that to, you know, go around the free agent market a little bit of, hey, we know we're not here yet, but give us like the next two years of, say, a four or five year deal with us and we'll be in the playoffs here and just, you know, you kind of sell it almost like the way the Toronto Maple Leafs did with John Tavares. It's like, here, these are the guys that these are the young guys that you're going to get to play with. These are you know, what we believe to be the future stars of the NHL, guys like Trevor Zegers and right now even Max Comtois. Right. So I think that's kind of your selling point there uh, during this upcoming free agency. One, th- one thing I noticed is that the ducks, they were very in on Pierre-Luc Dubois when he was in all those. Mm-hmm. Trade and if yeah. I remember correctly, he was down to the final three with the ducks. He ended up going to Winnipeg. Obviously you're not going to beat a Patrick line, a trade package, but mm-hmm. yeah. just, as you were saying that I had a thought and that thought was maybe Jack Eichel as the sabers crumble around we us talked about it before it was a long time ago we did talk about that coming off the cap eichel makes 10 million i think you could maybe put together a, enough of a package for buffalo that would maybe entice a jack eichel move i think mm. the, i think if if the sabers ever get to that point and they're getting close yeah. i think the ducks could be an interesting team to watch even not not just for eichel for a lot of those high-end guys with all the the cap space and all the young players coming up. I was, that was a very interesting point. And I just had that Eichel thought fall into my head. <laughs> you were saying that. Yeah, no, it's every once in a while it pops up on social media, like, Oh, what about Eichel to the ducks? And it's like, and then we, we kind of talked about it either on air or, or off air. And it, it just makes a little bit too much sense. And there is that offensive talent that Eichel would want to play with. Um, not that that doesn't exist in Buffalo, but what, for whatever reason, it's not clicking. But uh, I'm sure Eichel would be very excited to mentor slash play with guys like Comtois and Zegris. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, imagine in two years a line of Jack Eichel centered, uh, centering Zegris and Comtois with those two guys having a bit more experience under their belt. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. And Eichel not having to play in Buffalo anymore. I think, yeah. I think you'd reach a Eichel that might be twice the player. He is right now without that organization just clouding his every action. I think I think ultimately just Buffalo is Buffalo because they're Buffalo. I don't think it has anything yeah. to do with <laughs> players and 
you can blame Ralph Kruger all you want for their struggles, but how many coaches are they on now? How many GMs are they on now? At what point is this, is this just a poisonous yeah. organization? I think if Jack, how many has Jack picked? Yeah. Right. And I think if there ever gets a point where Eichel is no longer playing for the Sabres, whoever gets him is going to be getting, I would say a top 10 player in the league. And I would oh, say yeah. the bargain price if he ever asks out. So if the ducks get him, I'd be very concerned about the Anaheim Ducks with the the future they're putting together right now and an elite high-end center like that. Maybe Trevor Zegers can turn into something even 80% of that, but imagine a one-two punch of Eichel and Zegers. Yeah, as, a, as the top two centermen, like because Zegers is a, a natural center. He's been playing the wing just to to get used to the, the NHL. But yeah, as you said, like Eichel up front, Zegers on the second line, like that. There, there's not many you know, top sixes that are, are more disgusting than that. <laughs> yeah, I was say, that's comparable to like up in Edmonton with uh, like a McDavid dry or, Oh, for um, sure. Or even in Colorado there, when you guys are going well of like a Landeskog and a McKinnon. Yeah. I mean, McKinnon, right? like it's deadly punch. Yeah. When, when Kadri's rolling, it's a, it's a great punch. He's not a number one guy, but it, I'd say that it might even compare to like a Matthews Tavares in Edmonton. For sure. Mm-hmm. It'd be yeah. a very strong pairing. I think that I think the Ducks maybe not this off season, but in one of the one of the two coming off seasons, they they're gonna have a blockbuster that's gonna really yeah. turn this team around. Yeah, either by trade <laughs> or free agency, we're gonna we're gonna get somebody. Yeah, um, yeah. We've talked before too that really like not the only thing this team is missing, but one of the big things is is just that number one scorer, like the guy that just is always at the top of your your stat list by team anyways. And we don't have that. Like like Nate said, Max Comtois is at the top with nine goals. Um, I think he's also at the top in terms of points as well, but it's it's not a lot. And they're, so we, we just have this pack of like depth scoring guys and it's it's fairly even uh which is nice but you also need that that number one scorer that can you know influence the game and get you that one or one or two points a game um that just puts you over the edge so and i think eichel could be that guy yeah comtois is developing kind of into that this season he's currently yeah bit, sitting yeah. on top of the team right now in goals with nine uh he's third in assists with seven and leading the team tied with ricard raquel actually for the 16 points yeah, Comtois has been great for my daily fantasy lineups. I have him most nights just because of how cheap he is. He he's helped bring in some money every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, that's sure. a good pick. Yeah, if anyone here likes daily fantasy, Comtois is, is a sleeper pick for sure. Yeah, Until... I was gonna say, Griffin, didn't you just win this weekend the, the THPN pool? There you go. I, did. I won twenty seven <laughs> bucks. Twenty seven. Nice. Hey, that's twenty seven bucks you didn't have yeah. before, right? It's pretty <laughs> solid. It goes right to the retirement fund. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, because Alex Tuck and his two goals got me 34 points and ultimately pushed me over the top. But uh, before you guys go, just out of curiosity, we're just about at the halfway point of the season. I wanted to ask you guys, who do you think is going to be in that final four once the season wraps up? And who do you think is going to be bringing home the cup just off the top of your head? Final four out of each division and who brings home the cup out of those four? I okay i'm gonna go with the normal three start with you know colorado vegas st louis not sure what the order is gonna be but it's always been the question of who's gonna have that fourth spot minnesota has been kind of going off and they're not the you know the minnesota mild of normal um in terms of a cup winner though i mean if colorado can turn it around 
there's still no reason why they can't be it. Um, but I mean, it's also hard to bet against Vegas. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, were you asking one from from each of the four divisions or the top four just in the West? I was asking for each division, but I will definitely still accept that answer. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, well, I'll give you one from each division. I think uh, uh, I think I got to give it to Vegas. I think just with your your goaltending issues, it's it's still not quite there. And if so, as of right now, as the rosters stand, uh, I can't put Colorado at the top of the division. If you guys go out and make a a big trade or, or something to get you that third second slash third goalie. I, I think you guys could easily take the division, but for now I'll give it to Vegas um, out of, uh, out of the North. I'll, I'll give it to, I'll, I'll do a bit of a, maybe not a sleeper pick, but not, I guess the not expected one. I'll give it to Montreal coming out of the, uh, what? the North. <laughs> Just okay. To be that's different. a hot take. That's a hot they're, take. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're doing pretty well. A bit of a slump now, but I think carry price is, is hungry. And with, with Jake Allen as the backup, it's hard to bet against that tandem. And they're going to steal a lot of games for that team. I think. What if um, that big trade? I'm, I'm going to just, you know, make smoke here. <laughs> what if we have a, almost a read, oh, not a redo even, but like a sequel to the Patty Watt trade. We get Carey Price goes to Colorado. Man, Jesus. I don't know how crazy I'd be about that one. I think that <laughs> that's would, a lot of money. <laughs> I think that'd be Patrick Watt too, Montreal's revenge. Yeah, but like it's Joe Sackick, man. We've seen the guy pull off he makes, insane deals before, and he's yeah. always come on top. The I only mean, issue is, is you guys have to re-sign in Rantanen soon. Makar um, is going to need to get paid. You have other yeah, young guys. True. Yeah, Makar well, so. is this offseason. So is Landis Gog, and right. so is Philip Grubauer. So we've got yeah. a, we've got an offseason coming up. So I, I don't know. Maybe we don't have a goalie after this season, and Montreal is willing to move Carey Price just for <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, Price would be an upgrade on Grubauer, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, right now, Grubauer is better, but... Right now, yeah, but long-term, <laughs> long-term. Um, the, uh, I guess the Central, um, I'll give it to... F- uh, I can't give it to Florida. I, I tried, but I couldn't say the words. <laughs> Gotta be Tampa. And uh, in the East, um, I think uh, I think Washington. I think Ovi's, uh, Ovi's hungry for another one. I, sure, I certainly hope so as a secondary Caps fan, but <laughs> yeah. mine, I, think, I think most of mine would be different. I think for the West, as much as as much as I want to give it to Colorado, they have not proven that they can get that far this season. And I think by default, you got to go with Vegas because there just hasn't been much shown by anybody else. For the North, Toronto's been playing really well. I want to see how they match up against Winnipeg in their upcoming matchups and if they can bounce back from those two losses against Vancouver. But I think if the Leafs really put it together and just shake off the playoff woes, I think there'll be an easy final spot in that North. For the Central Division, I think one team everyone's really sleeping on is the Carolina Hurricanes. Yes. Very good team. And as long as they can get good enough goaltending from either Reimer or the new guy whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce, or if Marazic (laughs) comes back... (laughs) I think they I think they can upset Tampa and make it to that final four and maybe make a push for the cup. And for the East, I it's a it's a weird one because Washington, I watch a lot of Caps games. They are on and then they are off. And I'm not sh- totally convinced that they can 
knock off some of those teams ahead of them. Boston, I they feel like the safe pick, but I just have a feeling that they're not going to get that far. Philly, they seem like they're riding a PDO bender. Pittsburgh might not even make it. And I feel like at a certain point, I'm, I just am changing my mind now, but I might put the Islanders back in there with how well they're playing. So mm-hmm. I have it Vegas, Toronto, Carolina, and the Islanders in the end. And I think that I'll go on a limb and say maybe the Hurricanes end up taking that home. I, I like the way this team's built as long as they can get enough goaltending. There, there's very little to complain about for yeah. for Carolina. Like they they just got everything. No, they have they're the, just a fun team. Like it's a hard team to hate, too. honestly. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of them. But <laughs> uh, okay, so I misunderstood. So I'll just no. go through. I pretty much agree with you, Griffin, for the most part. Uh, you know, Vegas, Toronto, Carolina. I still think Philly can do something, though. I mean, you got Carter Hart behind you. Right. Like that's something that you can build off of alone, I think. And I think we saw, you know, a good amount of it last year. It just unfortunately wasn't quite enough. I think they can still build on it a little bit more. So I, I mean, I'd like to see that, obviously. I think those are all very good, th- very good picks. I, I think I've taken up enough of you guys time today. So <laughs> thank you guys very much for coming off. You guys want to plug your show or anything else you're doing? Feel free to do so. Yeah, so you can follow uh, our show yep. at Quack Report Pod, um, wherever you get your podcasts as, as well. We live stream every Sunday. That's always a fun time. We, we talk about other things besides just the ducks as well. We, we have a uh, music and pop culture seg- segment called Quack Report Unplucked, where we talk, you know, just various bands. And uh, we're talking WandaVision um, on, I th- believe, Wednesday's episode. So if you want. Yeah, be, uh, yeah Wednesday or Sunday. I've, yeah, yeah so quite figured out the schedule ahead of time yet <laughs> one of the two so if you're into that there, there's that as well and in, then you can follow myself at carter underscore pots p-o-t-t-s underscore 97 on twitter and on twitter you can follow me at tate namas t-a-t-e-n-h-o-m-a-s all right well thank you both very much for coming on today everyone please be sure to check out the quack report wherever you get their podcast one of the best shows on the hockey podcast network and oh, thank you thank you very much <laughs> up on everything ducks and all their other conversations outside the ducks are just great as well but thank you all very much for coming on today i really appreciate it and i hope to see you guys again soon because we're playing the ducks relatively soon again aren't we it's coming up i don't know exactly yeah. when but yeah, yeah it's I, it's pretty close so I we'll, the, we'll i have the picture in my head of the schedule but i don't know exactly when uh, uh, we will play you guys again the 16th of March. That's oh right. yeah, so wow, that's week. very soon. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we got oh so that's a weird one because just one game, and that happens. Yeah, it's the one off. Yeah, because we you guys have us on the second half of a back to back on the 29th as well. That's weird. It's almost the it's almost like the old days. Yeah, <laughs> almost almost back to normal it seems. But yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for uh, for having us on. It's always a fun chat with you. So yeah, thanks for inviting us. Yeah, no problem, guys. I appreciate it. And I will see you guys whenever we meet next. For sure. Sounds good. And that was my interview with the Quack Report podcast. Great guys over there on that show. Really informative show about the Ducks and even taking some nice breaks from hockey, talking about even shows like WandaVision that have come out recently. Just an overall great show with two great guys but I think that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL and follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is. 
Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time.